In this episode, Ken Schumann and a group of faith walkers reflect on the topic of shame. This is part four of the Faith Walking Principles. This conversation was recorded in March of 2023. To learn more about Keep Calm meetings, visit www.faithwalking.com backslash resources. Join the conversation. We are working through uh, some key faith walking principles. Our topic is shame. Here's what I believe. I, I believe every person alive experiences shame. I I think some people don't know it's shame, and they don't recognize it as shame, but they experience it. Shame, it's the idea that happens when we compare ourselves to others, that somehow we're less than, that we're not smart enough, we're not good enough, we're not talented enough, we're not capable enough, we're not pretty enough or handsome enough. And, and so shame is about who we are. It's about our sense of self-worth. You understand that? It's different from guilt. Guilt is about what we do. We're afraid. So we get anxious because of our shame. And that fear, the anxiety is caused by our fear of being ridiculed, or our fear of being seen as flawed or as not enough. I don't have really well-organized notes, but I'm happy to give you whatever notes I have, group, if you'll send me an email, okay? So, so recognize when our shame gets triggered, we fear being scorned, ridiculed, seen as flawed or not enough. And so what do we do out of our anxiety? We either hide in fear and disconnect from people, or we hide in fear and just don't show up as as who we truly are. Or another way that fear or that shame gets expressed is we pretend to be more than we are, and we become boisterous and controlling. So one of the byproducts of shame is fear. One of the byproducts of shame is blame. So when I'm, I'm in shame, when I'm feeling shame, uh, we, we use blame to deal with our feelings of powerlessness. So there's nothing I can do about that shame voice that says I'm not enough. And so the way, one of the ways I react out of my anxiety is to blame others. Well, if they had done this, or if they had been different, or if they hadn't done that, then I would be okay. And then a third thing that is a byproduct of shame is disconnection. When we when we feel and and when our shame gets triggered, we feel estranged from the world. We think uh, we're the only ones in shame. When our shame gets triggered. We experience anxiety, we start blaming, and we disconnect. And what we want more than anything else in the world is affirmation, affection, and belonging. It's fascinating, isn't it, 
that what we do out of our anxiety when our shame gets triggered is to disconnect when what we really want is deep connection. In order to, do, to address our shame, there are four things that are helpful. One is to increase our awareness of our shame triggers. Increasing our awareness that we, that we have a shame voice and what that voice is and what triggers that voice. Number two is then knowing why our shame exists is helpful. Number one, I'm aware that I have shame and that I have a shame voice and what my triggers are. And number two, I also have done some deep internal work of knowing why I have that shame. And for most of us, it goes back to our first formation. But it also may go to experiences as an adult that we've had that have increased our shame. And then the fourth thing to do with our shame is to develop the capacity to speak our shame. It, it's impossible to be real, quote unquote, when we're ashamed of who we are or what we believe. We, we, we just don't show up and, and be real. So the ability to, to speak our shame includes this, ladies. It includes expressing how we feel and asking for what we need. And I want to acknowledge uh, that one, one of the best teachers for me around the idea of shame has been Brene Brown. And I went all the way back to what for me was the first book I read. I think it was her first book called I Thought It Was Just Me. And, uh, and I just want to acknowledge her because she has helped me so much understand shame. So on Sunday, I believe, Judith, I'm correct in saying Sunday is the third Sunday of Lent. The fourth? Is that what you told me is the fourth? Well, part of the third Sunday of Lent is the reading of the story in the Gospels of the woman at the well. And that story for me is, uh, is a powerful story of, of watching how all these principles of shame get lived out in a, in a uh, moment where this woman met Jesus at the well. I've talked about it before. And uh, hopefully it, it, it won't just be redundant. It, it isn't for me, but, but I want to talk about it again. Because the woman came to the well at noon by herself. Notice the disconnection. She didn't come when the other women normally came. Why? Well, I'm convinced she didn't come at the normal time because of her shame. Well, where was their shame and what was their shame about? So she gets in this conversation with Jesus, and, and here's the thing I believe. So I'm going, to, I'm, I'm, I'm going to tell the story through the lens of faith walking, okay? So I'm, I'm, I may wander off the path of normal exegesis at, at some point, but, uh, but I see in her tons of shame, and here's what I see. I see her being the boisterous one trying to present like she doesn't have any shame. And so she gets in this really argumentative from her vantage point conversation with Jesus, but not from his vantage point. And so here's, here's what I think she had shame about. I think she had shame around her racial identity because Samaritans were, were half-breeds, considered that. 
Because she said, what are you doing talking to me, you male Jew? I think she had shame about her religious beliefs. Because she got, again, she was confrontational about her beliefs and who was right and who was wrong. He also, I believe, had shame around her relationship history. Because Jesus says at one point, would you go get your husband for me and bring him down here? And you remember what she said. Well, you know what? Uh, Yeah, I, I don't have a husband. And Jesus said, well, of course, you're right, because you've had five husbands. And now the guy you're living with isn't your husband, and he's number six. I'm sure she felt some shame around that and her lack of capacity for lasting relationships. And let me just do a little parenthesis group and say, and and why why did she have a trail of less than relationships? I believe because of her level of emotional maturity. That's why. Let me phrase it another way. Because of her shame. So her shame was so powerful, and she showed up as kind of overconfident and overboisterous, and I know everything, and I'm sure after a while it turned turned people off. I think also she had some shame around her life choices. Um, here I am, my relationship issues, my life choices, and so she disconnected from the other women in the community. When we talk about, in faith walking, shame, resilience, Brene Brown talks about three, the three C's of courage, compassion, and connection. The courage to speak our shame, the compassion not to beat ourselves up around our shame, and connecting with people that are safe enough, who are non-judgmental, and who allow us to speak our shame out loud. And it's fascinating because I see Jesus doing all three of those things with this woman. Was really clear with her. And yet he was patient and gentle. And I think he helped her express her shame and talk about, I I think there was something about the connection. There was something about Jesus saying, I don't care about your shame. I don't care that you have shame. What I'd love for you to do is be restored to wholeness out of your shame. And so Jesus engaged her and exposed her past and the present, and he helped her see her shame. And I think he helped her get liberated from it. Now, I don't know what all went on in that conversation. But but here's the fascinating thing. The community that she had previously disconnected from, after her conversation with Jesus, he ran into town and told everybody could, she, she could see, come and see this man who told me everything about my life. Could it be this is the Messiah? I think it's fascinating that even the Samaritans were looking for a Messiah. And I think it's fascinating that she went went into town and told them, and, and here's what, and whatever she said, a large group of them came out to the well to, to, to see and hear Jesus. And the scripture tells us, and many of them became believers. Now, here's an interesting thing what they believe in. 
Jesus hadn't died and what hadn't been resurrected yet, would they believe? I don't know. Interesting question. But here's the bottom line, group. The bottom line is there, there is an antidote for our shame. There is shame resilience. There are tools. And we don't have to stay in our shame, uh, but we can find the capacity to face our shame and to show up different. When we find a safe community where we can be authentic, where we can share our story, where we can connect in deep and powerful ways, and, and where we can speak our shame out loud. And as I say in Module 2 in Faith Walking, I believe this. I believe when we can speak our shame out loud, the minute we speak it, it begins to lose its power over us. Now, it, that doesn't mean it's over but it begins to lose its power. I believe that part of the fully alive life, I believe part of our process of growing into wholeness is to face and address our shame so that we can stay connected to people in deep and authentic community. And I also believe, unfortunately, that far too often Christians, Christians add to shame rather than subtracting from shame. So what's that stir up in you as I talk about it today? Anything? Can you say that last sentence one more time, Ken? I think often that that Christian some Christian people add to our shame. They shame us rather than helping us address our shame. They're not safe. So when we when we get into so here's here's where shame grows. When we get into the what you should do, what you should do, how you should be, what you should be about, who we should be, what we should be, how we should be, those are those are shaming things. I was reading about the well over the past couple of weeks and doing a study and it actually mm -hmm. Brigham, Brigham had, I read the blogs and mm -hmm. I was reading that and I started really getting into the scripture and I've known that story for over 30 years. Mm -hmm. But when I read it this time, I literally, I, I started crying. I was just like, it mm -hmm. hit me about Jesus's tenderness. Mm -hmm. And I, I could literally picture that, you know, her being a smart mouth and getting defensive and I can, mm -hmm. I, I can relate to that because I've been that person mm -hmm. uh, just instantly, you know, with that chip on the shoulder, you know, mm -hmm. why are you even talking to me? Why, you know, not, not accepting somebody's love or connection or, and it was all based on shame. Yeah. And when I started, I started drawing this, I put the painting in a, the chat when yeah. I started drawing it, my husband came home and goes, he goes, I didn't know you could draw. I said, neither did I. <laughs> I just had this picture, you know, mm. of what I pictured Jesus doing with her. Mm. And, and and I chose the red because it's the scarlet, you know, all that, that past that. Right. Shame. Yeah. But I, um, it made me see Jesus. 
a little bit more clear. I think more of a tender person instead of all my life, I've grown up, you know, with the thought of the, the bat ready to beat you down. You know, you're no good. You yeah. better do better, you know, and, and I know that equates to, um, the way you think of your father a lot of right. your or who raised you or the men peers in your, your you know, in your lifetime. So right. it's taken a lot to try to learn to see Jesus as tender as, and not just that driving force to make me be good. Yeah. I'm still getting over that. I, I thought I was completely over, but I'm not. I mm-hmm. mean, sometimes I, you know, when things don't, uh, or if I don't get a certain healing, you know, I, I, I start mm-hmm. equating to that. Oh, well, I get it. This is all my fault. God, you're punishing me. You know, I, I've had the horrible conversations like that mm-hmm. even with all my faith walking. Sure. <laughs> so it's a retraining. A lot yeah. Of retraining. yeah. Yeah. That's really good, Brenda. Yeah. Thanks for sharing that. I really appreciated what you said towards the beginning. I can't remember now what it was verbatim, but you said something about that dispelling our shame involves um, expressing our feelings and um, expressing our feelings and. Yeah. Express how we feel and ask for what we need. Ask for what we need. Yes. Yeah, it was that was almost exactly what one of my positive declarations is that I just came up with in um, module one, <laughs> which is my feelings are valid and my needs are important. So I express myself confidently and ask for what I need. Yeah. Um, so when you said that, I was just tickled. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's great, Laura. Yeah. Yeah. And and that speaks to shame. So so here's here's the way shame sounds. I I don't deserve to have my needs met. Other people's needs are more important than mine. Uh, and so uh, it's not okay to need anything. There's something wrong with me if I need something. But shame says, no, that's not true. We all have needs and we all need our needs met. Yeah, good. Yeah, I appreciate that because I didn't really connect it with shame until you said that. But I, I totally see that link now. But when I thought of it, yeah. I because I guess that's how shame works, right? Like shame wouldn't want me to think that I think my needs aren't important right. because of shame. It would want me to think like, well, they're just legitimately <laughs> not important. That's why I think they're not important because they're not, right? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah. We we say uh, often, Laura, and and I, I'm gonna I'm gonna say it a little different, but but our our vows don't want us to see our vows. Yeah. So our vows stand and shame doesn't want us to see our shame. It it stands in the way. Good. Um, I'm referring to what Laura says in in other, but sometimes when you um when you go and help that other person that needs help, it seems that it makes you feel a little different and you're not lo- you're not really looking for that person to give you anything, but you already see that person that is in need or so, and you just stepped out and be there for them. Yeah. Yeah, for sure, Miss B. Right. And, and yeah. Another thing with Jesus and his disciple, I just love I just love how he always react with his disciple. 
because every one of them had a problem, but with him, it seemed like they didn't have a problem. That's the way I see that. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting that you bring up the disciples because that remember the disciples had gone into town to get food. Jesus was left alone. And when they came back, they were, they were blown away by the fact that he was alone at the well, having a conversation with this woman, <laughs> you know, and, and here's the thing I love about Jesus. He didn't care. Yeah. I mean, so, so I, I'm sure all the religious folk would have said, well, Jesus, you ought to have done something different. And, and, G but Jesus showed up as a safe person. What's on your mind, Judith? Um, nothing in particular. I was, I preached on the woman at the well this last Sunday. So I've been trying to think about how I might have um, added this in my sermon had I given it some thought beforehand, but. Well, I should have, uh, I should have. Uh, uh, no, no, don't do that. Cause then you'll have shame and you shouldn't, you didn't know. <laughs> I, I know I'm teasing. I know you are. Good. I mean, this is as, as we've talked about in all the the modules can shame is something I've, I've dealt with and I'm learning to, um, to fight. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so this just reinforces everything that, that I've been trying to do. Yeah. One of the things for me, uh, that maybe will make it more practical. Uh, I, I found for myself that shame shows up as lies. I believe about myself often. Yeah. Um, uh, for example, I'll, I'll give you an example. When when I was nine or ten years old, my father used the word lazy to describe me. And it impacted me for the rest of my life. And it's still that impacting me. And it's the voice of shame. There's something wrong with you. And you were lazy. Well, the truth for me is that's a lie. That's all a lie. Uh, but I had to do do the hard work of recognizing it as a lie and mm -hmm. thinking about what do I really believe about that? And so for me, so what one of my shame triggers is around hard work. If if someone calls me and and says, "Oh, did I just wake you up?" My shame trigger kicks in. Well, of course you didn't wake me up. I've been up since five. What are you talking about? <laughs> I've been hard at it. Uh, yeah. Um, and and I have others like that 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 I could share, but but they are they are lies that just aren't true, but that that are about my shame uh, because. Uh, as a, as an adult pastor, I burnt out. I I believed the lie that all I'll ever be in life is a good helper, that I was never intended. I'm not good enough to be a leader. Well, that is a lie. That's just not true. But I believed it was true and then showed up as if it were true, behaved like it was true until I realized that was a, a debilitating, shameful lie. It was a shame lie that was stopping me from living into who God 
had created me, designed me, and wanted me to be. I do have a question. All right. Um, I knew if I talked long enough, something <laughs> gets stirred up. Well, I was thinking one of the one of the um, areas in my life that I had grew up feeling shame was about my weight. Mm -hmm. um, and so I was I was trying to imagine when I'm at the dining hall and I'm grabbing that piece of dessert, piece of cake, or and I'm feeling somewhat guilty about, oh, I shouldn't be having this piece of cake. And then I thought, I notice what other people are eating. Do you find that we're often judgmental about those areas and others where we feel shame? Does that sure. go hand in hand? Yeah. Sure. Sure it is. We we become critical and judgmental of other people who have the same issues that we have. Well, and I'm not even sure I think they have the same issues. Um, but I'll notice, oh, yeah. should you be eating the piece of cake or would, yeah. would you be thinking, oh, he's just lazy? Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's real natural to do that. I and so I think too. my encouragement in that would be, and and so guess what? I am a I am a responsible person, responsible for myself, who has agency. If I choose to eat a piece of cake, I choose to eat a piece of cake. Uh if it impacts, you know, uh the way I look, you know what? I'd rather have the piece of cake. And that's okay, because I'm not living up to anybody else's expectation for who I'm supposed to be. I know that that sounds simpler than it is, but <laughs> but, well, I, but is, is is it somebody else's expectation, or sometimes does it become our own expectations of the way who we think we are? I, I think I think sometimes Judith, it's it's expectations that other people have created that have become norms and we think are our own. Mm. Okay. Well, everybody's supposed to be thin. So therefore, if, if I'm not thin, then there's something wrong with me. What's wrong with me? Well, who said everybody's supposed to be thin? Yeah. Why is that the norm? And, and, so then self-differentiation would would be about I get to decide how I want to live my life. And and if you know what, I, I prefer not to exercise all that much and I prefer to eat sweets because I because I have a sweet tooth. If that's the way I want to live my life and I say and I don't really care if I carry a few extra pounds. Well, then that's OK, because those are my choices. And then I go see my doctor and he says, well, you ought to uh, lose weight. Uh, yeah, I probably, you know, according to who? Well, according to all the doctoral stuff, you know, <laughs> I mean, again, we're always living up to ought to's. But 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 the question becomes, how do I want to live? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I guess if I want to live. If I want to live a healthy lifestyle because I feel better when I'm healthy, yeah, then that will direct some of the choices I make. Yeah. Apart from shame. Mm-hmm. But but then it becomes about what you're living into, not what you're trying to fight. Mm-hmm. Right. 
are are living into somebody's ought to, but you ought to be thinner. You're right. I mean, if you decide, yeah, I want to live a healthy lifestyle and I uh, I want to eat good, healthy, and and and, uh, and nutritious things. Okay, great, do that. I heard somewhere along the way, and it's in the faith walking stuff uh, because I've written it in there. But I heard somewhere along the way, you can't really say no to something until there is a more powerful yes that you're saying yes to. Mm. And so I'm always looking for what is my more powerful yes. That statement right there. I've had, I've got it on a piece of paper and I had it taped on my mirror. I mean, for years <laughs> since the first time I heard it and I could never find that more powerful. Yes. Until recently. <laughs> mm. Well, good, Brenda. I'm glad you're finding it. But it still doesn't make it easy. <laughs> no, it it doesn't. It doesn't. Uh, but but when we give up living into this, this is who you should be, or this is what you should be, or this is how you should be, or this is how you should look. And we start living into, this is how I choose to be. Then I, I think we're 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 addressing our shame and we're becoming more self-differentiated. Yeah, I'm tired of the oughtas. You shoulda, woulda, coulda. Yep. Mm-hmm. Beyond it. <laughs> yeah, I, I wished I was beyond it. It still hovers. Oh, when I say I'm beyond it, 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 it I don't mean that I'm totally practicing it i i think but i'm i'm done with it up here i'm sick of dealing with it i understand and, and so that is it's like literally a verbally daily i have to talk to myself mm -hmm. i have to write notes i have to focus you know and and every time i hear something coming from somebody's mouth about you what should have done da, 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 i'm going wait a minute think of the source who's the source you know what walk walk the talk don't just mm -hmm. give advice if you're not, you know. Yeah. Anybody else got anything to say about uh, this story, about shame, about how to address it? For more information about Faith Walking, visit www.faithwalking.com. We want to remind you that Faith Walking exists because of your financial support. Please consider donating today at faithwalking.com. Visit our site for more workshops and courses available online. Thank you for listening.